Hey, kia ora listeners. Uh, I know you've been waiting a while, but we're back. Welcome to the podcast, Is This For Credit? Uh, I'm Peter Jury, and joining me, as always, is... Kia ora, Luke McFarlane. And... And we're lucky enough to have a special guest this week. We've got Tracy Greenwood, who does amazing things at National Library. Kia ora, Tracy. Kia ora. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, thank you for joining us, Tracy. <laughs> uh, um, you're our first actual real-life guest. So oh, privilege. Honest right? for us to have you here. <laughs> thank you. Incredibly for, grateful. Uh, for the multitudes of listeners out there, Tracy, uh, where are you joining us from at this moment? Uh, Tamaki Makoto, uh, Miraitai to be precise. So just across from Langatoto. Awesome. And what's your mahi up there, Tracy? What do you do? Um, so my official role is a senior specialist in developing readers, which is uh, quite a mouthful. Um, and I work for the um, National Library Services to school. That sounds a really important role. Right? <laughs> yeah, probably, the title is probably more important than no. <laughs> um, so how did you land there, Tracy? What, what were you doing before? Is that before what that? you've done or? Yeah, um, so background is 20 plus years um, teaching and well, uh, 16 of that is in New Zealand, Aotearoa, New Zealand, and four of those were over in England. Um, I started in the primary sector and um, was really enjoying that and then got a phone call over the summer holidays from my principal who said, hey, we think you'd be a great new entrant teacher. And I went, hey, don't think so, but I'll give it a go. Um, and I lasted a term and then I jumped ship to... Um, secondary school and at Manirewa High School and they had um, kind of like a, a, a setup where some of the students who'd had um, quite a bit of absences due to um, health and family issues and things like that it was set up quite similar to a primary school classroom so they wanted primary trained teachers there um, so I worked in that area for a couple of years really loved it and found that I loved that age. And so I went back and retrained as well and um, went out and did, was in the English department, drama department, sometimes um, was in the social studies department if they needed it to, to fill my timetable. Um, and the rest is history. Love it. Love secondary school. Love, love those kids, even though I know they get a bad rap. And somehow I always seem to end up with year 10s who... We all know how lovely year 10s are. Um, so, yeah, I deemed with year 10s and things like that. But spent most of my time teaching in South Auckland, in schools in South Auckland. Was very fortunate to be a foundation staff member at Ormiston Junior College. Um, and then a couple of years ago now, my husband got a DP role down in Whakatane. So we moved our family down there. Just on a side note, we'd been planning to go international teaching and somehow we ended up in Whakatane, but uh, that, that's how we roll. <laughs> um, and, and loved it down there, really loved it down there, but unfortunately some stuff was happening with my family up here in Tamaki Makoto and we realised that that kind of circle of life and time in our life was now when our family needed us the most and so we ended up moving back home, back up to Tamaki Makoto. So... Saw the job in the library. It was halfway through a school year. Wasn't 100% sure that I wanted to find a brand new job again halfway through a year teaching. So threw my hat in the ring. Honestly, didn't think I'd get the job. 
was quite surprised when I got it and have been on such a steep learning curve, but absolutely loved it. And I love the fact that it's still related to education, so I'm not quite out of it. No, that's good. I know, Tracy, all, all the teachers listening in are jealous straight away because you're one of those people who's managed to find a job that's not teaching in the middle of a year. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I'm extremely fortunate and I do am very, very aware of how lucky I am, especially with everything that's going on in education at the moment. You know, I just, I take my hat off to you all because I was getting to that point of 20 plus years where I was starting to, you know, I'd never, ever thought there'd be another job that I would want to do, but I was seriously starting to question it. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, kudos to you all. I'll, I'll end up back there. I do, because even at the library, and I absolutely love this job, but I do miss the creative side of teaching, and I do miss um, the students and the staff, the collegiality, not so much the paperwork and the admin and things like that, but, yeah. Uh, well, look, all our listeners in Fakatani and Tamaki Makoto will be uh, happy that uh, <laughs> a fresh voice on there from those uh, different rohe. Yeah, rather than just old ex fielding and ex Thames over here, so <laughs> fairly limited <laughs> population. <laughs> so great to have you here, Tracy. Um, Thank you so much. Um, earlier this year, you spoke at a uh, national English teachers conference. Yeah, I wasn't there. I know Luke was. What did you talk about? <laughs> oh, this this could go on forever. <laughs> um, so I guess the. The premise behind it was engaging teen readers because uh, we do know, we're all probably very aware as English teachers that this it's not necessarily a priority for a majority of our learners. Um, and but vitally, vitally important, not just for, you know, the academic side of things um, in terms of literacy and that, but actually for their well-being, social and emotional well-being. Um, and just the long-term effects that um, getting into the habit of being a reader and reading for pleasure, it's just so important. And so that was kind of the essence. Um, I talked to some of the most recent or some recent research out that was, you know, both international and national, just um, really, I suppose, to give teachers that element of um proof I suppose not not for them because they're all believers but if they're trying to um, you know bring it to senior leadership or bring it even to their department and try and bring other teachers on board with it um, I think sometimes you need that stuff in the background to say hey look this is what is out there and this is what is being said I'm this is not just some crazy thing that I'm trying to push you know there's there's evidence to back it up so yeah, and I just, well, hopefully I provided as well some practical examples and um, starting points for people to realise that it's not this huge massive thing and that we hopefully can get more kids reading for pleasure if we just try and build it into more of a culture within our schools. And, 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 and really important, it can't just be those English teachers, you know, it has to be a school-wide thing. It, yeah. It's a good one for all our... Um teachers out there who aren't English teachers who listen to English mm -hmm. podcasts. <laughs> as they should. As they should. For all of our maths, whānau and physetas out there who have tuned in. <laughs> I hope you were listening then. <laughs> hey, uh, one thing that you said at um, conference that really stood out to me, Tracy, was you're talking about this uh, expired expectation and orphan responsibility Yeah. that sits there with the, the 
significant drop off with year tens. Jesus, around some, that age. There's some creativity in that quote, Tracy. You're saying oh. creativity. I <laughs> wish. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I wish. I wish I could take credit for that, but that's not me at all. Um, so I'm giving you a, credit for it. Don't worry about the rest. <laughs> <laughs> um, before I get strung up, uh, um, <laughs> um, there's there's an Australian researcher, Margaret Merger, and she's. Um, She's a lecturer and she works with a lot of um, schools over in Australia and librarians um, specifically to try and boost this whole reading for pleasure uh, element. And yeah, so a lot of her research has talked about, so there's, there's this research that talks about a decline by nine. So a lot of our kids by nine years old uh, are stepping back and losing interest in reading and they just don't see it as, um, as there being a point to it. But then the worst thing is up in, you know, secondary with our early adolescence, our year nines and our year tens specifically. Um, it's what she calls um, expired expectations is where she's talking about because these are kids now that we know can read, there's not that expectation on them to read. Mm -hmm. um, and then so that links to this idea of orphaned responsibility. Now that nobody else is kind of supporting them and promoting it and advocating for it, um, it becomes the responsibility of the child themselves. And if we're being completely honest, they're not going to do it. And so, yeah, so it's a fantastic um, phrase that she has. And I think it just sums, sums it up how important it is for us. There's also... Um, Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher are quite renowned over in America for their work around this. And they have just this catchphrase that they often throw out with, especially with this age group, that if they're not reading with us, they're not reading. And so it's that idea that we really have to try and find some space within our school day to provide the time and the space and the environments um, to make sure that our, our learners our akonga are getting a chance to read and read what they want, not always stuff that, you know, we're forcing them to read for credits or or whatever it is. Oh, um, please don't hit me with a grammar question. That's <laughs> right. You're smarter than an eight-year-old. There we go. No, 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 no. Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, you, you've got these um, young adults that are buying into gaming. Mm. So uh, if I'm a 14, 15-year-old uh, young fella, yeah. what's what's... What's going to force them, not force them, but turn them off that game and into a book? Why would they um, choose to get into this book rather than jump on their game? Yeah, and and um, hand on heart, probably nothing because I've got a 15-year-old at home boy that I'm having the same discussions with at the moment, um, yes. which is why um, I think you know, as, as teachers at school where we're not battling that element, that's why we need to provide that space at school um, for their well-being and stuff like that. But it comes down to, I guess, like in anything in education where it's building that relationship with them, trying to figure out, you know, what is a way that we can um, buy, we can get their buy-in for it. And even if it is only at school that they're um, starting to read for pleasure, if they start to build that habit at school, it may not be something that they're choosing to do in their downtime at home, but possibly later on in life, it might be um, a habit or something that they pick up again because um, it is a space, a well-being space for them, a self-care space for them. Uh, like I say, my 15-year-old, he was an avid reader and, and always had been up until probably the last couple of years, now 100% gaming 
programming will always be his go-to. I have to, at home, as a mum and his dad as well, will, you know, cut him off at a certain time and I say to him, oh, what are you reading at the moment? And I keep putting books in front of him and working at the National Library, I mean, I've got access to over half a million books there so I can pick and choose what I think he would really love and he does in that moment in time he will pick that up he'll sit down and he'll read it and he'll talk to me about it he's really into those like conspiracy stuff and um and war and you know that kind of but we'll still read fiction around that kind of thing as well but it's not something he chooses to do it's something that I have to really you know like you say, force or encourage or give him no other option that that's the only <laughs> thing, you know, left to do. And 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 as a reader and as an English teacher as well, that kills me slightly inside. But I know, well, I'm hoping that I'm building these habits that, you know, he possibly will come back to that. Um, and I just keep on keeping on hoping that I'll find that book that, you know, that will have him engaged for a week maybe, if that Sorry, sorry, there's no magic answer to that. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You did better than me anyway. I (laughs) hear you completely, Tracy. I I always have one recollection of a boy who who sprung out just a a nice surprise for me, and and it was uh, The Hunger Games. Oh, yeah. This is actually before the films came out. Uh, The boy from memory was a skater, uh, gaming, outdoorsy, hated reading. Yeah. Then told me how much he loved reading The Hunger Games. And this is in year 11, so I'm, I've worked out he must have read it in maybe year 9 or possibly mm. immediate, but he said how much he loved it and that he'd hoped we'd be reading it again. Oh, cool. And it was at that time, I didn't, the film hadn't come out, so I knew nothing about it. Yeah. But I thought I remembered hearing something that the way that book was written, and I don't know if this is a bit of a, a, bit of a ham up or not, but the short, punchy sentences, for example, make it easier to engage. Yeah. What, any insight into that? Um, well, I mean, often we recommend um, books like that are published from um, Orca Publishing or Barrington Stoke. They originally came out because um, they produce books that um, are pitched for, you know, neurodivergent students or dis- students with dyslexia and things like that. And it's because they do have short chapters, short sentences, but not short sentences to the detriment of flow of reading and... and um, the creative side of, of it, it's still, you know, you still get engaged and things like that. Um, I th- Do you know what? I think anything you can do to um, get them engaged in it, like graphic novels are a huge thing. And I think a lot of teachers still poo-poo them as not being, you know, valuable or valid reading material. They're fantastic. And there's some real deep, you know, messages and themes in graphic novels. And then, um, I've had some success with like verse novels for boys because even though they don't want to like, oh yeah, I'm reading something that's kind of poetry based, it's almost like they forget that that it's a verse because it flows so well, but it's short and it doesn't take up the whole page and there's heaps of white space. And, you know, so there's something to be said, I think, for trying to make texts um, more accessible. Mm-hmm. For, for students and I vaguely remember reading and I can't remember how long ago it was about publishers talking about you know now there's too many YA books out there that are just too big and that in a sense is a turn off for kids they just will not pick it up because they're too thick and it's how do we still keep 
you know, quality literature in front of our students so that we're not dumbing it down, so that we're not, you know, just using short stories all the time with our kids, so that they are, um, you know, getting into that flow of a, a, a novel that, you know, takes some time and energy. Um, but for a lot of our kids, we can't throw that at them straight away. They need, you know, to be, I suppose, like breadcrumb, you know, get that trail out, get the stuff that they really enjoy. And I think, you know, like... Um, Jason Reynolds and Kwame Alexander are great examples of the types of books that that get a lot of those boys especially into reading because it'll go from either verse novels and then they've been brought into graphic novels and then from there they realize actually I can I can um, attack some of those those heavier ones but again it comes down to like say relationships and knowing the kids and just being able to try and find the right book at the right time as well you know and, and it's an ongoing thing, as is most things in, in classes and education, you know. It's like three steps forward and ten steps back some days. Um, but I also think, like, real um, diversity in, in books as well and just making sure that you've got a lot of engaging um, books. You know, Porangi Boy was so important for some of my boys down in Whakatane. Um, they needed that voice and they needed those kind of things. And I had Tama Samoa for some of my kids um, when I was teaching at Manirewa High School. You know, they need to see themselves in texts as well. It's that whole mirror, sliding glass doors, windows, mirror, sliding glass doors stuff as well. Yeah, I think I went slightly off track. Sorry. <laughs> you were in the right place for that. So that <laughs> Welcome home. Yeah. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> No, not at all. Um, what about, um, what are your thoughts, Tracy, around, um, well, my example of this is, um, so students doing a speech, for example, mm. use, their notes are on the phone, they write it on the phone. Yeah. Um, and by the same token, I know a number of students will read on their phone, and, and I don't mean the classroom situation where they tell you they're reading in the... yeah. yeah. Playing something else, play the game or, or whatever. But but that idea of reading online, I guess, is my question for you around what's your it's not a physical book. Yeah. Um, is it what what's your thoughts on that, I guess, in terms of engaging readers? Is that um is it a bit of a smoke screen or what do you reckon? I think yes and no. I re I think it really depends on um you and your relationships with your kids and what your what your school feels is essential. I know for some of the kids, it was the only way I could get them into books. For some of them, they needed they needed the sense of security of it being on their iPad or on their phone because then people couldn't see what books they were reading. Um, I'm talking here, you know, reading for pleasure stuff. So they couldn't see, their friends couldn't see if they were reading an easy book or, you know, or a romance, if it was a boy, God forbid, you know. So that gave them a little bit of a, a sense of security. I have to admit, I love, um, I love physical books, but I always have a book on the go on my phone, either via the Libby app or, uh, you know, um, uh, the e-Kindle stuff on my phone because I just find it useful, you know, if I'm out and about and I've got, a car, you know, 10, 15 minutes to kill, I, I pull up my book on that. Readings, reading, that's me personally. I know other people feel very differently about it and in a utopian world and in, you know, 
in my classroom, I would love to have all kids have a physical book at all times, you know, and be reading. If it's the battle between are they reading at all, um, then I will take that book on on their iPad or on their their phone versus them not having a book with them. But that's just me personally, and I know lots of other people will feel differently and completely understand that as well. With um, Timotaiho and the, or the curriculum refresh, mm. it's all focused around developing reading for pleasure. And yeah. you came out with a couple of great activities throughout the workshop, that, that ball of string and the, um, that book advocate sort of competition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as teachers around the Motu trying to engage these readers, do you know of a, like a, a database, and a national bank of quickfire reading activities that teachers can access and be like, hey, I'm going to give this a go today because I've got a couple of young fellows that aren't that into it. Hey, I'm going to give this a nudge and see if they buy into it. Um, Shameless plug for the National Library. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, On on our Services to School website, we do have um, a lot of reading engagement pages and and that is actually part of my role within the National Library is um, updating and refreshing some of those pages. Not just me personally by myself, but with a a team of us and we're constantly putting on resources and and things that we can add into there. Um, We've just come out with an actual physical booklet, but it's also a PDF online with um, elements that that we think are really important if teachers are wanting to create readers um, and so it, it's talking about things like reading identity reading aloud yeah independent reading and stuff like that and, and within those there are some examples of practice um, it killed me slightly because we had we have the most amazing staff at the National Library and the facilitators and librarians had come up with like you say, lists that could have been made into databases of, of the way that teachers could work. But within a brochure, we were like told, no, it's you can only have five to eight or whatever. And it's like, oh, which five to eight? Um, but that's a really, that's a fantastic idea. And it actually might be something that I take back because we're looking at the moment at how can we bring children's literature to life for teachers and actually a database or of some sort of those kind of activities might be a great place for us to start and um, to support teachers out there. In essence, the messages for, from us is that, you know, um, reading for pleasure doesn't have to be massive things that you have to put a whole lot of effort and energy and resource creation and things like that. Um, it can start small and simple and and once you build that culture within your class, it should become something that the kids are, you know, driving, or students, sorry, are driving themselves as well. But to answer your question, no, there's no one place that I know of that will, will have everything and anything, but that is definitely something I'm going to take back to the team and was like, well, that might be a good starting point for us. But definitely um, that our, our website is great. And I know it's a shameless plug, but no, plug it, go away. What is, <laughs> we do. We have such fantastic staff. Um, and and I think the what what is so great about about the National Library is that it, it is a complete entity. It's a trusted support to try and create efficiencies for teachers. It has digital, it has print resources, um, it has knowledge expertise, it has links to research and stuff like that. And it is a neutral kind of anchor and conveyor of networks and collaboration. We link out to other places and research and websites and, you know, because we are not 
competing against any organisation because we are a government um, organisation. We are that neutral party. And so, um, and, and it's funny because as a teacher for 20-something years, I didn't, and, and it's hard to admit, but I applied for this job and was extremely honest with them and thought and said to them, I didn't even know you guys existed anymore, you know, and in hindsight, that is, there is so much stuff on there that I wish, you know, like I used to do Socratic seminars in my English class. There is stuff on, on the website that I could have taken, you know, not used exactly as it is, but taken as a starting point that would have helped me that I wouldn't have had to create from scratch. You know, there's questions we have book and beyond stuff on there um, which is linked to the Auckland Writers Festival but it's also a template there that you could use with your students to start unpacking and analyzing and if not using it for that side for the reading engagement side of it is just how do we enjoy books and how do we chat about books and things like that so yeah like I said shameless plug but it is an absolutely fantastic website and staff are there and they can come out to schools and they support and they're just desperate to get out and support um, and I just think more teachers need to know about it. And I really, like I say, had I known, I would have used a lot more of their stuff. Well, perfect. Because I think we've got three guaranteed listeners. So this <laughs> is from this chat this evening. Here we go. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> um, hey, Tracy, one uh, question for me. So other than going onto the website, and yeah. you've got a lot of curated options there. Mm -hmm. If I'm an English teacher in Kurunui, down in the bottom of the Wadarapa there, yeah. And I'm trying to think of different ways I can try and engage my students in reading. Yeah. Um, have you got any left field ideas or something a bit different that you've come across in your work? Something really cool that's, um, you know. Just one thing? Yeah, or one thing. Well, it's just one thing. Something this, so English teachers, I know it's, it's, it's for the last 20 or so years, it's been a battle to engage students in reading. Yeah. And so, um, hey, we've got the library service. We've got all a lot of really good ideas always come through. Mm -hmm. Something else you've got in there that you've come across that was maybe really novel or really, and no pun intended there, but novel. <laughs> no, I love that. <laughs> if you come across something, you thought, man. You know, it's bad there. when you've got to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I like to do. <laughs> explain my jokes. <laughs> um, you just operate at a higher <laughs> level. <laughs> <laughs> have you got something <laughs> what's a really random way that's engaging kids in reading oh, that, that, I mean that's the million dollar question isn't it one thing that we've heard and in some schools have really noticed is you know um, social media as advisory so as much as we hate and social media sometimes bringing it into, into classrooms and stuff things like book talk and book, bookstagram um, all of those influences, the, you know, the YouTube influences, how we bring, you know, finding stuff out about them and what books they enjoy and what books they read. I often used to have just clips attached to like my Google classrooms that I would bring up every now and again. Um, novel? Yeah, so you're saying we hack what is their it? social media? Yeah, why not? <laughs> just stalk them. Um, yeah, Instagram. So within Instagram, it's like a its own little kind of community, and they they chat, you know, or or recommend books and things like that. So I would often just pull, you know, you could download them and copy them into your Google Classrooms, and they're like they were like I know on TikTok, it's you know, it was thirty seconds, love this book, why I loved it, kind of thing. You should be reading this. Um, 
Yeah, um, some of the other ways, like really random ways, we're like we used to ask visitors that were coming to school that were speaking about stuff, you know, they're there to present certain things. We'd ask them to start their talk or finish their talk with what they're reading at the moment so students could actually see that, you know, reading is a lifelong thing and something that that people enjoy. Um, not just teachers talking about not, it. Yeah, exactly. Read. <laughs> yeah, actual people do read and not just librarians and, and English teachers, yeah. It's that kind of stuff. It's how do we – how – how do we make it cool, which is such a horrible word as well, because that's not cool in their lingo. I don't even, I've been out too long now. Like, what's the word nowadays? Ask your 15-year-old son. He'll go yeah. <laughs> He doesn't talk to me, so, you know. <laughs> he can text you. <laughs> so I guess, um, I don't know, like when you have those students with whom it's a battle to kind of, you know, even engage in finding out what books they might like and, and asking them to choose a book to read is like massively beyond painful. Um, one of the things that I'd highly recommend is reading aloud. And um, what I mean by that is not the class text that you guys are reading, but, you know, a range of different texts that might hook them into a book. Um, so, for example, sometimes I would read a whole novel for a term. Um, sometimes it would be novels until I claim, came to like a cliffhanger and then I'd switch books, which would really annoy the kids. But then I'd be like, well, go and get it from the library. And sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. Um, sometimes I would read sophisticated picture books because I'm a firm believer that you should use picture books in secondary school classrooms and you kind of need to get over that um, like the kids kind of poo-pooing the idea of picture books. Um, sometimes it'd be poetry, articles, I'd play podcasts, YouTube clips of spoken word and TED Talks. Like the whole point of that is kind of building that literature-rich environment. And I think if you do that, it slowly becomes easier to kind of gauge student interest and start to engage them um, and then start, you know, begin scheduling in those times for them to read independently chosen texts. Um, and again, if there happens to be a picture book or a book that you deem too easy, well, who cares? I guess it's that point of reading for pleasure that you're wanting them to get to. So does it matter what they're reading if they've chosen it themselves, they're engaged in it and they're reading it? Like, like who cares? Awesome. A uh, little little um, uh, fun fact here, Tracy. Do you know, are you a Michael Jackson fan? Pre, uh, pre the way it finished up. <laughs> I'm like, how do I answer this? <laughs> you don't have to. Well, yeah. Whether you're a fan or not. Do you know what his um, most misquoted song is? No. Oh, no. A Liberian girl, yeah. Because everyone always thought it was Librarian Girl and that it was about a girl who worked in the library. But the title, the song title is actually Librarian Girl. Liberia. Yeah, from, from Liberia. So you can go to work tomorrow and tell so, everyone. So <laughs> just, you know, well, I'm going to fact check that before I do it. <laughs> no, well, no, we're spreading uh, misinformation. Uh, <laughs> I don't know you're working there. You think, what? <laughs> Six degrees of separation here, so here we go. Uh, you eat boom when you're at Mahi tomorrow and mispronounce it. Oh, no, uh, cool. Hey, Tracy, we really appreciate your time uh, joining us here today and the Mahi you do. And it is, um, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough gig, you know, it's mm. got a 
like you say, it's a great job, but man, it's a tough gig as well because we want yeah. to engage in young people in reading. Yeah. Um, and, and no one has the answers. So No. And I think I have to say as well, like here's me spouting off all this research and all these ideas and stuff like that. If you'd walked into my classroom, there's never 100% of the time that my class, you know, showed a true, honest reading culture, you know, all the time and or a writing culture or an, or were 100% engaged. So please don't think that I'm standing here on my high horse saying, if you just did, <laughs> if you just did these things that would, you know, change the world, um, because I do know how tough it is. But I think as with lots of things in, in teaching, it's just you, you've just got to keep trying and something works one day and it doesn't work the next day and you've just got to have the guts, I guess, to to go home and get frustrated about it and then turn up the next day and either try it again or try it with a tweak. And so, yeah, please know that I'm not standing here saying, do it this way and it'll be perfect because I completely understand that's not reality. But honesty. Yeah, but, but you know, the National Library is here and there are some fantastic resources on and if they can help, you know, make your job just a little bit easier, then that's 100% what we would love to be able to do. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for, um, first of all, being willing to talk to two chumps. Uh, <laughs> hopefully it's been vaguely interesting for our listeners. Um, yeah, I hope I haven't waffled too much. Sorry. <laughs> just listen to your banter. It's going to be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me, though. I do have, um, I know you'd mentioned about um, ways or key places that teachers could go in terms of Mataranga Māori and things like that. Um, I do have, you know, some links or stuff that, that might be good starting points. <laughs> links in here somewhere. Or, or if you're listening, uh, jump on your Google machine. Yeah. yeah. National Library. Yeah. And then just follow the links. Yeah, services to school though. The National Library, because we're under the National Library website, um, it can be a bit um, convoluted to follow. Um, but yeah, if you type in services to school, that'll bring up our stuff. So, is, yeah. is the Dewey Decimal still in action? It is. It is. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but to be fair, a lot of librarians are genrefying nonfiction nowadays um, to make it easier for their students to access and, and understand. But yeah, it is still a it is still a thing. Oh, well, Julie would be happy. Yeah, he will be. <laughs> awesome, oh, Tracy. it was awesome. Thank you so much for having me, though. Hey, that was really cool, Tracy. Thank you. Hey, so great to have Tracy on board and really different point of view coming from the library service, I guess. Uh, libraries, maybe like reading, have gone through a bit of uh, a lack of call over the last 20 or so years. Yeah. Were you, were you, a you used to go to the library? Uh, yeah, I did. I've, well, I've got fond memories of um, being taken, I suppose, and that's probably the, one of the key arguments or key points that's come out of that discussion. Uh, if they don't have that support, ongoing support, that drive at home to, to get their... To the library and get a book out, then they sort of fall away. And I do remember, Mum was always an avid reader, massive Stephen King fan. So, Mum uh, was, yeah, yeah, always took me along to when I was younger to the library, and then I eventually started reading whatever she was reading. So, they took you to see Misery and Cujo and <laughs> kind of Christine, all reflected, those reflected a lot of my life <laughs> growing up in tens. <laughs> all those child friendly films, Cujo, yeah, Carrie, yeah, good pet. <laughs> Uh, I remember what about my, yourself. Yeah, I remember my first library book. Your first, first you remember library, it? I remember. I suppose I was 18. 
car. No, it went to the Fielding Library. I remember going with my mum, and the book I got was about Sitting Bull. You know, Sitting Bull. Yes, yes. Who was he? Was a um, Sioux chief. Correct, Sioux chief who um, routed Colonel Custer. Yes, and uh, yeah, diced him up. Well, they toasted him up. But uh, yeah, I vividly remember going to the library getting that book. Wow, oh, this is good memory. How old were you then? Um, well, it must have been about five. Mate, that's impressive. Yeah, that's a pretty heavy text as a five-year-old. Oh, it was a, it was a kids. Yeah, it was a short, small. It was a cassette. cassette. <laughs> <laughs> you put it in, <laughs> just play put it in your Sony. Ding, in the page. <laughs> That was, that was a little kid's kids book, obviously. Oh, right, yeah. It was about sitting book. Yeah, yeah, nice. I think it's happy or what they have over there is Honka Papa. I still remember it from. Yeah, right. From when I had that as I was young. Yeah. And so your parents were always avid readers? Yeah, yeah. Lots of books at home. So I guess is that the, the, the precursor, the necessary element? Because we're both coming from families with books in the house and the reading. Yeah, I guess so. Um I was thinking, though, when we were talking with Tracy, one thing that stuck with me is now um, we talk about a decline in reading, but I wonder if now there is, uh, it's, you can't escape if you're not, that sounds really bad, I know. It's maybe not the right term, <laughs> but data tracking is so intense. You pick up who, can't, who can or can't read. Yeah. And the urgency that you need to be able to read is pretty, um, pretty intense, whereas... Maybe not in our time, but maybe our parents' time, you could very easily leave school, work, without necessarily having to yeah. read. Yeah. Now you can't. I mean, you look at we both work in a secondary school. Uh, kids go on various trades and um, work schemes, and then you've got to readings essential every step of the way. Yeah, regardless of what they're sitting yeah. or what they're doing. So there was definitely an era where you didn't have to know how to read to get opportunities yeah we're and we're also growing civilization distractions right oh yes man regardless where that is, a, you that go. is a song lyric is that a song lyric shall we is that your own <laughs> yeah, that is that is um that's <laughs> i can't remember what it's it yeah right oh, down next tracy time. had those two she bought in and that was impressive and yes you just drop in growing a civilization of distraction yes and okay. it just rolled off the tongue i think you prepared that did you know it was this um this montes west coast <laughs> hazing beautiful uh, back to the topic um, a cult, a civilization of distraction. Yeah, well, you know, like uh, back when we, there wasn't a lot to do when we growing up. No. Man, I spent a lot of time walking through mangroves, plucking out um, Cody gum that had washed down the river. Mm. I don't see a lot of views doing that these days. Uh, but then also read books. Are you referring to the time you spent at Waikato University? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if you're familiar with Waikato is, but not a lot of mangroves. I'm sure they had. And it wasn't a euphemism or a metaphor. <laughs> Despite popular belief, I'm sure that university has a library. <laughs> well, just, well uh, if we, although if we, let's try and not be too fuddy duddy sounding here. Internet, gaming, social media. Yeah. I mean, dial it back to when you were young in the 2000s, when I was there in the 90s, slash 80s. <laughs> um, you know, you joke about cassettes, but wasn't just the old radio and tape deck another distraction yeah were movies in the 70s or television another distraction Sega master system coming out Nintendo, Nintendo, yeah atari 2600 another distraction Fuck so you. so really if we try and blame a lot on social media okay, for example yeah. is that actually just the way uh, life has been going forever that there's always a distraction yeah, yeah. Mate, well i don't know like we had that little study one in this afternoon and i'm sitting with students they got their phones on the desk they're not looking at them they're, they're working on some work 
but they're still bringing in the lights flashing consistently throughout. Mm. So I guess we didn't have the same desire or call uh, to our device. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know. I distinctly recall, as I'm sure you do as well, feeling stuck in the class, maths class, and just staring out the window. Man, salt's going on out there. <laughs> get it. There's a hill up there, and is that a plane of distance, man? Get, you know? Man, do you see what that wind is doing to that tree? <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, 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 you know yeah absolutely I mean? right. Yeah, yeah, we were always seeking distractions, I suppose, even back then. Whether it's just the banter of your classmate or mm. drawing in a book or or whatever. So, then I guess where we were going there is that there is just this there are any number of reasons not to read. Yes, so let's try and shift our combo. So, I mean, how do you get people reading instead of saying why they won't read? How do you get them reading? And let's maybe go to texts. Yeah, have you got one in the last five minutes? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, no, I mean, what? So, one way, one thing we always talk about is what about text that just grabs students? So, I mentioned when we talked with um, um, Tracy, yes. the, the text I remember from Hunger Games. Boy was Hunger Games. Yeah. And that was pre the movies, pre yep. Jennifer Lawrence, pre it being cool. This kid had obviously read it and it resonated with him. Maybe that's the wrong word because I'm sure he didn't live in a dystopian future where. Uh, young people are <laughs> literally <laughs> sacrificed for the entertainment of others, but somehow this story stuck with them. Yeah, yeah. I guess, um, and like I spoke last time, the road to winter was always something that um, yes. I found worked really well. But it's something as simple as um, Hunt for Wilder People. You know, when that came out, it was a fresh uh, new cover to a traditional story. Well, not a traditional one, but an old school one. But that still had the power to capture the interest. And we took those um, that entire cohort of students to go watch the film. And all of a sudden, every single student in that uh, in that year level was captured by that book. We also yeah. took class eeling and they cooked the eels on the side of the riverbank. Yes. And we spoke about the book and the fact that uh, all these things happen. And, and that taps into you know a multitude of old old texts where you know got young people out there um, just enjoying our surroundings and then. Gaining some sustenance from it, learn some skills. Yeah, relating to that. So that's about texts that young people can relate to. It's something that they can physically can uh, um, copy, I guess. Right? Yep. Oh, I'm reading this cool book about going hunting. I'm going to give it a go. Do you know, and this is another one of my unproven facts. Oh, yes, I love this. Do you know um, the most popular music genre in America? I'm going to go country. I was going to go with country as well. Yes. And one of the, if you look at country songs, do you know a lot of country songs? No. Oh, well. Tell me that's for it. another time. But one thing you see in a lot of country music is it's really localized. Yes. Kentucky Rain. Yeah, uh, right. Songs about specific places. Yeah. Like I mentioned, Kentucky Rain and um, Tennessee, you know, Tennessee whiskey, I know that's the name of the thing, but you hear all these places all the time. Yes. And so what that does is it really localizes. A physical songs. location for them to buy into. Yeah. So this is a, 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 a song's not about, well, you know, if I think of uh, one of T-Pain's greatest songs <laughs> in love with a stripper. <laughs> you know, pretty generic sort of title could be anywhere. But when I hear Chris Stapleton, Chris Stapleton, because that's the name of a drink, um, uh, there's an old song, El Paso, or something like that. You hear all these places, yeah. and it takes you to a specific yes. place. Time and place that people can feel yeah, in a physical place yes you know we don't hear too many songs about um you know well Thames or fielding mm. mainly because not too much rhymes with them but <laughs> but you know what i mean there's a localism in country music um that is 
rare, possibly, in texts. So you think that that element's going to be a key driver for a resurgence of reading, uh, the shift towards uh, uh, I don't know about the localised aspect of our curriculum? I don't know about a resurgence, but I wonder if it is a... Um, I wonder if Life it's raft. an element... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it's an element of localising a story and grabbing grabbing a story. Have you ever read Whale Rider? Yes. So that's a staunchly Ngāti Pārō story set yep. in Whangarā on the East Coast. And it's only... If you go to Whangarā, Paikia, uh, Tiko up on the whare, yep. it's that story is distinctly a Ngāti Pārō story from Whangarā. And then maybe there's not too many stories like that, I guess, where it's exactly set in this place. Now, where I'm going with that is that by localising it, that maybe that's something that grabs people. I guess it's a bit of both, eh? It's got the opportunity to grab some people, but if people don't know that place, it also has the potential to push push people away. I don't actually know where this is. I don't really care. So or, I guess that's the or, beauty of describing or, a location yeah. without telling us where it is, right? Or it's it's vivid and rich, maybe, because it yeah, is right. a, such yeah. a distinct place. It takes us on a journey. Um, as opposed to a uh, galaxy, long time ago, a galaxy far, far away, for example. Yes. Stories that could be anywhere. Yeah. Well, this, um, well, hopefully we um, interview this author in, in coming weeks. But oh, we want to catch the authors, eh? But, this uh, latest novel I've read, watched. Yep. Opening uh, scene is, is downtown Wellington. And the first sort of couple of chapters, you know, describes in detail locations around Wellington. So for those down in the capital, tap yeah. into it. Oh, I've been there. Oh, I can visualise exactly what's going on because I know what this looks like. Yeah, another um, uh, New Zealand author, Fiti Hiriaka, yes. uh, her book Legacy, exactly same thing, it opens in downtown Wellington, Yep, uh, describes it vividly and then goes through to, I think, Māori and Egypt to yes. in very yes. distinct yep. locations. Yeah. So I guess there's a group, what are we, what's, our, what's my point there? I guess it's localising but also that maybe that realism that comes with it these are, these are stories happening in real places. Yeah, I think uh, like one of your key things as a teacher, though, is to try and find that commonality or that, that location within a novel regardless. Something that the kids can connect to, and maybe that's one of those little lead-up activities. You know, tapping into the prior knowledge, find a particular moment in time in the text or a location. Oh, you guys been here? What does this look like? Da-da-da-da. Oh, well, funny enough, these characters jump into this. Yeah. I wonder. Um, I wonder here if it's a good point to then, if we connect this to, um, I don't know if Mataranga Māori is the right term here, but definitely Te Ao Māori, mm -hmm. that ability to connect by putting a story in a certain location or area, and even possibly a location in time. So I mentioned the Fiti Hiriaka one. Yes. Um, I don't want to give any spoilers there, but it's always a bad sign when you say but spoilers. <laughs> A setting in that a setting in that novel is there's uh, an element of Back to the Future. Well, you've done more spoiling than I was about. <laughs> but a setting in that novel is within the first Maori contingent who are in World War One. It's mm. a really distinct time and place and people. Yeah, and, and you think of that, for example, it's a massive part of, of a lot of Maori Fano history. Um, that engagement through different world wars. So again, that's an example I think of a really Localized story. You mentioned whale rider, Whangara, Ngati Pro, again, a real a local story, but also one that really connects to Te Ao Māori. Mm, mm. So, those are examples, I guess, of how a novel can 
uh, definitely perhaps grab Māori or use that um, that type of setting. Don't know if I've got that term right, setting, but to possibly try and engage Māori readers. Yeah, yeah. And then you also uh, don't want to, I guess, fall into the trap of saying, oh, well, this is a Māori story from here, so <laughs> all Māori from Kizzy will like this story. Um, you mentioned Tihima Baker. Yeah. And that, no, you've, you've been reading, that's like a science fiction yeah, you know, yeah. it's a real yeah dystopic sort of uh, yeah fictional and, text. And the winter was it the road to winter? Road to winter again, this Australian dystopian yep. future. So it's not to try and I guess that's you run the risk of. Oh, here's a story. Multi kids will like it. Yeah, I think if that's your stance, then <laughs> you're in the wrong career. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You're battling. Yeah, you're battling. Um, what is it? Maybe what are the ingredients? Of a really engaging text, we don't want to typecast readers, um, but maybe what are those elements that we that perhaps are really popular with younger readers? I think I like. Uh, I mean, the one thing that stands out to me is if you if we're trying to get these kids away from distraction to some point and, yep. and getting them stuck into a text, we've got to create that distraction. Us just standing there going, hey, you should read this because I'm a reader. I love reading. That's probably not enough. Um, so what is it that you can do uh, that's going to tap into that, that excitement? I don't know what that looks like. We spoke to well, Tracy about you know this national database of little Kickstarter reading activities. At our um, kura where we're at, it starts from year seven and eight. And they have some awesome stuff around a book week. Yes. Students and staff dress up as, as their favorite book characters or book characters. And you get some really cool stuff, you know. Um, but I think it gets us back to this stage where high school, year nine and ten, third and fourth form for the old schoolers out there. Mm. Um, that idea of what's cool and what's not still becomes a they're not going to dress up as Tom Sawyer <laughs> or Ricky Baker or <laughs> or the Greasers and the Socias, you know what I mean? So 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 how do you engage teenagers? Let's say you've got an awesome text. Yes. No doubt, man. You are sitting on the winner there. Yeah. Um, hey, looking at your at the top of your reading list, you've got watched by Tia Baker. Man, you've got that ready to go. You know it, it rocks, you know it's a story. Kids are gonna love it. You got your your class full of cool teenagers. What are you gonna do? Mate. I'm I'm the cool teenager. Let's uh let me try and uh role play that. Hey, not too hard to do to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> let me try and role play that. Man, I don't care who wrote that book or what it's about. I'm too cool to start reading. Yeah, I'd rather just play on my phone. I got tiki talking. Tiki talking, yeah. Tiki talking. Well, Mate, if that's the call, then I'll just chuck them onto that book top. Nice. Good. Hey, good. Oh, well, let's book see top. what these guys recommend. You're into social media? And this is, thank you, Tracy, for putting us onto this because I didn't have a clue. I personally don't have top tick on my phone, do you? No. Nah. No, nah, sorry. No, I don't have TikTok, but sometimes I've got Facebook. Yes. And a lot, I say that like it's a badge of honor. Apparently, all the old people <laughs> have Facebook. <laughs> I'm still rolling Bebo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm on Facebook now. So are a billion other people, fella. Well done. Um, chat. <laughs> but I know on, on Facebook, though, you can still get top, top 
videos? Yep. <laughs> you Shorts. still get TikTok videos. Yeah, they come through. So, oh, yeah. so quite often I'll watch one and um and, and it'll take me to TikTok to play the video. So maybe um maybe another way to do it. I've found this cool novel. Maybe yep. the kids don't want to listen to me promote it. Maybe I actively find its endorsement by someone who is what is it? What's the alternative of saying cool? Well, uh, an influencer, an influencer, an influencer with a, with a heap of followers, followers, believers. Yeah, you're right. Because so why don't we find an influencer who who supports the text? I don't know. Do you, do you, do you create an influencer? Yeah, maybe yeah. that's what's missing, Tracy. Maybe an influencer for New Zealand text for kids. Is there? Do you think? And she sort of said how she gets any guests who would come in, get them to lead off with what are they reading. Yes. Is there an element where because you're the teacher, uh, whatever you're saying, kids will basically do the opposite too. Or yeah, that's the right. Fact that you're telling them, man, you got to read, you got to love this. Yeah, they're not really gonna. You're not the influencer for them. I'd say there's definitely days where a kid has decided before they've even stepped through your door what they want to listen to, to some extent. And that can be dependent on 3,000 things that have happened during the day or the night before, right? Yep. And so we've got a limited opportunity to switch that around. Um, and, and but we've also got the power to bring in other means to do so. And if that is using someone else's voice to push a concept or an idea that we value, but it's just a different way of saying it or a different voice and pre uh, presenting it, then why not use it? I don't know. We don't know if this works. We're just spouting ideas here, but... One thing we wanted to do with this podcast, and I don't mean this episode, but this uh, season, is look around that it's refresh a long season <laughs> and some long chat. <laughs> but we wanted to look around uh, Mataranga Māori and that dimension within English. So uh, we also said pretty early on, man, it's not just about text selection, but I think if we look here at text selection, mm. because Tracy's background in the library, it's probably a good time to talk about text selection. So what um, are some texts you've come across? Maybe I've come across that people could maybe add to their repertoire or not. Uh, yeah, right. So there's a quite a cool text called Slice of Heaven written by um, a fellow, Des O'Leary. He's actually local down here. I actually really enjoyed that because it's got um, – it's set in South Auckland, um, but the characters are cosmopolitan. You've got a whole mix of different cultures who play pivotal roles there's not just one supporting one or one carrying the other or, or whatever. It's sort of like a cool combination of these different stories that are told through these different characters. But um, certainly I bought into it and um, I'm looking forward to giving that a nudge. Um, you mentioned uh, Fitihiriaka before. Bugs. Yep. Really love bugs. Um, I'm not sure whether the setting is actually expressed um, explicitly. But coming from a small town where you do have, uh, you, oh, you got these pockets of poverty. It's not a rich location. Um, you got factories that have closed down. Some unemployment that's sort of growing. You know, you can see yep. a whole range of life. And you can, and so coming from a town like that, I know there's, I'll tell you, I was, you know, full of them. But I could definitely buy into that setting via that. Another one I know, um, again, someone else we hope you can talk to is Steph Mataku. So kia ora, 
Steph Curry over in Taranaki. Yes, yes. But she's written a few. Uh, Falling into Rarohinga and um, also Flight of the Fantail. She's done a yep. few others as well. Yeah. And Flight of the Fantail, what's really cool in there, it's just um, starts off teenagers, all these cool kids we're talking about on a school bus, and something happens. So yeah. straight away you got this group of young Māori, bang, and something happens to change it up. So again, that's another example of a text. And we also mentioned um, Porangi Boy, yes. in our quarter with Tracy. Yep. By um, Charlotte Kino. Charlotte Kino, thank you. Um, kia ora Charlotte, aroha mai. Um, set up north, and you mentioned those sort of, like it's around um, Ngafa, I think. Yes. Eh? So again, yeah. a real localised story. It's not actually said though in the novel. Ngafa, the actual oh, okay. location, yeah. physical location. So I guess that's the beauty of it. It could be in your backyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To some yeah. extent. So I guess a common thread there is you've got young protagonists, young Māori protagonists yep. Yep. each time. Yeah. Also as one, not maybe it's not aimed at uh, junior readers, but as Kawai by Monty Suta for a time such as this. Perfect. And awesome, awesome. Um, Some of the greatest action. chapters I've ever read. Awesome action there. Um, but again, distinctly, a very distinct story set in a very unique place of Aotearoa to a very unique, yeah. Um, well, to a very specific um, rohi and people there. But in saying that, like um, you mentioned before, uh, Steph Matuku's book, uh, Falling to Rarohinga. So I just finished that, and Tracy. Uh, definitely alluded to the fact that the, the style in which it's written, a text, can prove to be more uh, of a accessibility, I guess, than how we promote it. And so with that novel, you've got these quite short chapters uh, that are through the two twins' perspective. Two twins. The twins' perspective. Both of them. Both of them. <laughs> but and the, and the chapters are short. The sentence structure is quite simple, but the ideas are, have got depth. But it's a real page turn because it's not like, oh, when's this chapter going to end? It's like bang, bang, done, next perspective. You got you. Yeah, yeah. I think you're spot on there because it, there's also, when we talk about young people, it doesn't matter what it's about. It's still got to engage them. And if it's not accessible and you're going to have a wide spectrum of readers, if something is short and punchy style, we'll grab some readers and maybe uh, longer prose or something, for example, might, might put some off, so it's yeah. got to be accessible as well. Yeah, and I think something like that, um, Kawai, you know, it's, it's a it's a good novel. And But if I took that to my year nine class and I've got, you know, it's good year nine class, but I've got some some um, students in there that probably aren't that interested in reading it at all. But if I just started with probably the, the number one chapter for me is that initial battlefield, mm. if I just started with that, I can almost guarantee, I'll put my money on it that every kid in that class now wants to read that novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. so maybe with these some of these texts, it's not about starting at the start. Maybe it's about picking the most engaging paragraph that you've come across. Start with that. Leave with the, leave with the bat. What's your reading voice like? If I'm sitting in your class, I'm that student, year 10. Oh, great for a nap. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I like that road to winter. I, I read to the the students and they yeah. always give them the opportunity to um to have a go same with when i first began reading the hunt for uh, little people i had that real mischief year 10 class probably curriculum level oh they were low those boys but they yeah. loved being read to yeah same they same loved the fact that they could yeah. sit they weren't 
active in their reading, and I'm putting quotation marks or whatever you call them, but they were still engaged in the novel yeah. and what was being read to them. And in fact, it was actually so surprising. A couple of thumbs were in mouths. Yeah. <laughs> exact same for me. Exact same for me. Yeah. Loved the story. Um, loved, yeah, it was probably, I was probably a battling uh, reading voice to them, but loved mm -hmm. it. Loved it. So, yeah, so, yeah, I guess you're, you're reading to them that, man, they, they love that. Uh, well, a lot of readers will love that. Used to give some of the option to read ahead. Yeah. Have your guns. They can read ahead. Oh, yeah. Some of the book would stay closed, but they'll just listen. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, it's a that, difficult yeah. balance, eh? Because you don't want to be painful for those, yeah, that's right. for those students who maybe they're not avid readers, but they read well. And you don't want to be pained. Man, it's a grind. Oh. You know, you get some big chapters. Oh, geez, yeah. It can be tough. Yeah. Better to stay in character. Yeah. But I guess that's where you know your students, you know your time frame, how long you reckon you've got doing some, some, what would you call it, reading to, reading yeah. out loud. There's another author, uh, forgive me, I don't mind if I get this wrong, Marianne Scott, we've got a few of them, the Tomo, uh, Spiro, um, Sticking Pigs, I think it's called. Um, but their stories, well, uh, the pig hunting one, Young fellow who's looking for a father figure. Uncle takes him um, out pig hunting, and, and the whole story unfolds from that. Spiro, same similar sort of story, really. Like uh, it's a South African family that moves to Aotearoa. He doesn't know anything about the ocean, but gets involved with a friend in spearfishing. And um, the Tomo is about uh, a young fellow heading out into a farm and being taken through the ropes on on farming. And there's all elements of resilience and all sorts of things. But it's almost like a the same story written with different contexts, but I enjoyed all of them. Uh, teenage Luke McFarlane. Uh, heaven forbid we go too deep into this. <laughs> when teenage Luke McFarlane's not doing other things, what is the book that's uh, done it for teenage Luke McFarlane? In Thames. In Thames. In Thames or oh. Thames. It had to be Stephen King. Stephen King? Yeah. And well, I let still, me guess which one. I'll still tap into a few of them. Um, was it misery? <laughs> <laughs> Just think that Tim's connection there. There's something about being tied up and having my <laughs> tied up and having my ankles broken really <laughs> stood out to me. What was it? I think I started with a lot of um, I think it was nightmares and dreamscapes, a lot of short stories that were really quirky, and that was sort of a follow on from um, Paul Jennings. Oh yeah, goosebumps. And and... Goosebumps. They were the, like yeah. when I was at, uh, quite a young fella, and they sort of progressed um, into that. Stephen King, which is ultimately weird because I'm not really into supernatural stuff. Yeah. But I guess it was just the way he wrote about it that was like, oh, yeah, I kind of I can kind of see that happening. I'm not a believer, but I can see it happening. Well, I guess a horror story. Uh, a horror story, I guess, keeps you, you know, I guess you're ramping up the end of each chapter and it's kind yeah, of yeah. creating that. To do a horror story, you've got to probably build that tension and that sort of emotion maybe where you're, you're trying to build some fear. So mm, mm. I can see why that would appeal. What about well, before I tell you mine, oh, yeah, okay, fun sorry. fact about Stephen King, he had a, an alter ego, Richard Beckman, I think. Okay. You know this? You know the story, Richard Beckman? No, I don't think so. And apologies to all our American listeners, I might be mispronouncing uh, Beckman. It's spelt B-A-C-H. Oh, oh, yes, now. So maybe it's Bachman or Batchman. Oh, Stefan Bachman. Stefan Batchman. <laughs> Stefan Batchman. Now it makes anyway, more sense. Um, where I'm going with this is. Um, he was a Michael was Jackson a, fan. No, but I was a big Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. Okay, uh, all the movies. Yes, yeah, big fan. 
Mm. Uh, Predator is probably my number one. Really? But where I'm going with this is, do you remember The Running Man? Yeah. Well, Stephen King wrote under the pseudonym of Richard Batchman, wrote a short story, The Running Man. They got turned into the Arnold film. Oh, there we go. So he's more than just a horror writer. Yeah, well, there's a uh, one of his most recent ones, Billy Summers. There's a story about a, a sniper, which uh, I was like, well, that's I'm impressed. Um, Shawshank Redemption. Mm. Shawshank Redemption was him, eh? It was called, yeah, it was on his short stories. Yeah. Pretty sure it was. Okay. Shawshank Redemption. Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank something. Um, yeah, novella by Stephen King. Oh, there we go. Google told me that. It must be true. Oh. And all of this, you probably knew that already, but yeah. Um, now, the book that did it for me. Yes. Uh, teenage uh, Petty Jury, running around fielding or walking around fielding. <laughs> <laughs> Rollerblading. <laughs> <laughs> You were definitely rollerblading, yep. and there would have been some punishable with my pin. streets, <laughs> like rough concrete, <laughs> worn away asphalt. No, um, uh, yeah, the one for me was uh, I remember I got sick, got glandular fever, and Mum brought me home a book, New Zealand book, Monday's Warriors. Monday's Warriors by Morris Shedbolt. Morris Shedbolt, famous New Zealand author, uh, Parkin, and I mentioned that because. It's a um, sort of set within the Taranaki landlords. Yeah. Perfect. And ultimately, I guess it's a Māori... Well, no, it's, it's set in a very distinct Māori setting. So from a Pākehā author, it's a, it's a bit different. But it follows the story of Kimball Bent. You've heard of Kimball Bent? Yes, I've read the graphic novel. Oh, of course you have. Easy read. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've read the Lots actual pictures. <laughs> so who was Kimball Bent? Um, here, bear with me. He was someone who skipped the Navy, the American Navy? Or British Navy. Yep. So he, what are they called? When you jump ship. Or a deserter. A deserter. Yeah. He was a deserter who who sided with the yeah. Taranaki Iwi. Yeah, that's right. So um, so Kimball Bent did exactly that. And the Taranaki sort of alliance was led by Titukawaru. Yes. And around, if you're around um, Hawara, there's a parasite there, Tingutu Te Manu. And why that was famous is one of his strategies was he created this sort of bottleneck. Yes. Lured in the crown, the British soldiers. They weren't really British, were they? Some of them were, but I guess they were using them. I digress. Well, they were... All these pikers. <laughs> <laughs> and Māori soldiers. <laughs> and, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were. Uh, lured them in, yep. this bottleneck, and then they're up in the trees. Yes. And so he had a couple of good running battles against the crown, against the British, and did well. So this story, Monday's Warriors, is from the perspective of Kimball Bent, the American uh, who sides with them. And he's sort of, um, a, I guess it's through his perspective we get to learn that story about Titukawaru and those wars. Mm. So epic story. Again, um, why I mentioned that he's Pākehā, that's not to um, have a go at Pākehās. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I guess it's aware that there's a distinctly Māori perspective of that story and, and you, you sometimes risk maybe you're glorifying the drama yeah, right. or there's an exciting story in there that maybe isn't uh, the iwi. Authentic. Yeah, that iwi story in there. However, uh, for um, year 11 or whatever I was, year 10 getting crooked, man, I really enjoyed it. And it was epic in New Zealand history. And, uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. And probably got me right into historical fiction now, so I still sort of like that. Yeah, that I enjoy bit. historical fiction. And that we talk about Kawai, that's another example really of historical fiction 
Yeah, it's almost um, like a um, who was it? It was a Bryce Courtney that wrote a lot of those that traveled through the uh, South African wars, Boer wars, yeah, and yeah. began in pirates, I think, and then worked its way through different generations. Yep, yep. Um, Con Eagleden did a, one of Genghis Khan, yeah, to the Caesar, yeah, Potato yep. Factory, and um, yep. that's right. Who was that guy? I think it was the same one, Bryce Courtney, wasn't it? Oh, was it? Uh, Potato <laughs> yes, Factory, Tom on Hawk, Tom on Hawk, yep, and then there's another one because it's based in the New Zealand wars. Yeah, so, um, well, it was a good chat for this uh, podcast, Luke. I hope what we discussed was with Tracy, that's that rich resource she brings from the library, from the National Library. And underutilized, too. But I think she's actually looking for us to reach out as a, as a teaching community and, and help guide what it is that they're trying to create. Well, one of our goals for the podcast as well was hopefully it's something really pragmatic for teachers. Yeah. What are they going to take away from it, right? So if nothing else, uh, ignore our rambling. Tracy is that connection with the National Library. What did she say? She's got half a million books yeah. on hand. On hand. And on their website, they've got these curated collections. So whatever you're looking for in terms of a theme or something, you've got an opportunity there. So we hope, uh, people, listeners, that that's something you get from this. And maybe again, our chat, hey, look, take or leave it. Uh, I'm a big fan of Arnold movies. Uh, Luke grew up in Thames. I'm sure we told, we spoke up this on every other episode, but what's your favourite Arnold film? Favourite Arnold film? I mean, I, I, I enjoyed Predator. Yes. Predator is the best Arnold film. I think Predator really made it for me. Or then, yeah, Terminator. Oh, yep, yep. I'd probably go um, Predator and then I think Conan's, Conan the Barbarian, number two. Conan? The Barbarian. You ever seen Conan? Yeah. When did you last see it? Oh, I must have been like 16. There we go. Adult Luke McFarlane. Yeah. Go and check out Conan the Barbarian. All right. Directed by Oliver... No, not, not Oliver Stone. Stone. <laughs> um, not Oliver Stone. It's another guy. Oliver Kane. Big Wednesday. Remember Big Wednesday? Love it. So what's that director's name? Well, anyway, that guy, you guys can Google it. Yeah, you're right. You can. Richard Millius, John yeah. Millius, John Millius, John Millius, Richard's the brother, director. John Millius. So John Millius. Fun fact about John Millius: he was at film school with Steven Spielberg, um, George Lucas. Wow, what an era! Imagine being in the class of that. That's right. Era. And well, they were kind of this crew of young directors coming out of film school. So those three were pretty tight. And the story goes, they each uh, finished their studies. George Lucas, man, right, I've got this movie, you know, Star Wars, going to make this thing. Mm. Million to million to nothing odds that it's good, but hey, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, Spielberg, right, Jaws, I've got this thing, man, he's got the shark. Man, it's going to, you know, yeah, I think it's going to hit. John Milius, yeah, I've um, got this one about surfing. And it's sort of this coming of age through surfing and Vietnam War hits and stuff. So they've each got these three epic film ideas. Ah, yeah. and, and the story goes that, of all of them, they say it was John Milius who was the, the guy. Most talented. He was the guy coming through. He was the one to look out for. So what they did is they each gave each other a part of ownership of each of their films. Far out. Star Wars, rest is history. Yes. Jaws, rest is history. Big Wednesday, bombs massively. Tanks. And John Milius jokes that, well, he got a part of Star Wars and Jaws. And those, <laughs> and those guys got a part of Big Wednesday. But, I didn't realize that a tank is such a classic. Well, it's a classic now. Well, that's the thing, though. Um, so it came out, I think, late 70s, early 80s. But through the magic of VHS and video, yeah, yeah. it became a cult classic. Yeah, right. And so it's actually become really big 
um, after the fact. Probably really too close to the war, possibly to, to gain that. Yeah, audience, possibly, maybe. possibly because yeah, I mean it's quality, quality film. Yeah, mm. I love it. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a film. Yeah, score by um, who did the score for that? Because it's got an epic score. Oh, they can Google that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although it's one of those things. John Milius is the director. Yeah. Jeez, who did the score for that? While you look that up, we've got to remember that, Tracy, when you're looking up the website, National Libraries, it's services for schools. And so if you're after any information around... Basil, um, sorry, Basil. <laughs> Basil, Basil, Basil Polidaris. Basil Polidaris, so uh, another epic, um, does massive cinematic schools. <laughs> okay, so you can leave it with a little plug for... <laughs> as well as Tracy, make sure that you got the score to Big Wednesday. And the score is by Basil Polidaris. I think I could do a whole episode on top cult surf flicks. This might have to, we'll have to do it for another time. What I, would you? I would. I hey, would. What would be your genre? My genre of choice. Like if you did one on surf films, cult classic surf films. Okay, so what, what would, would I come in with? I would. What would you come with? I would go with Golden Harvest slash Shaw Brothers Hong Kong martial arts films. Oh, okay. That'd be me. Okay. Yeah. Yep, and I'd start with probably the Ten Tigers of Shaolin. And I've probably got a top five ready to go. Teachers out there, get onto the National Library. You'll find curated collections of texts. And hey, look, there's a lot more to juggle other than just choosing good texts. But man, if you've got no idea, jump on there and have a look and it'll give you some idea. Great place to start. Alternatively, you've already got an idea and you're wondering, man, what else is there I could use around this? Get a hold of Tracy, get onto the National Library, find those resources, and hopefully that helps. This has been another... Uh, Quality episode of Is This For Credits? Don't go change it. <laughs>